Welcome to Office Baggage, where two corporate women unpack our week in business. Every week, co-hosts Ray Parent and Marcy Tweet tackle the WTF business topics you want to talk about on every rung of the business ladder. Bring your baggage. We'll We'll unpack it. Welcome back to Office Baggage. It's Marcy Tweet, your host, and today is July 23rd. I'm recording this intro on the same day I'm posting the podcast, and I can't believe we're already winding down July. Ray and I are so honored that you've stayed with us and listened through this summer and this incredibly tumultuous time in our society. Ray and I are going to find some time to record together in August, so expect some episodes with both of us coming soon. But for now, we have another awesome interview coming your way. Throughout this time of COVID-19, one of the things I've heard from my girlfriends, my family members, and all of you is that while this pandemic has meant that we are at home more, we are also taking less time to truly rest than ever before in many ways. Parts of our lives that used to be separate, work life, home life, volunteer life, fitness life, now have to fit in the same space together. And it's hard to get a break from any one thing without having another bombard you so quickly. That's why I was excited to talk to our guest today, John Fitch, the author of Time Off, a practical guide to building your rest ethic and finding success without the stress. Now, hold on a minute. Don't tune out. This is not just another book on time management. I have read all the books on time management. I would never have invited John on this podcast if it were. This book is a truly different take on rest and stress. It's a look at work ethic in our society and what John and his co-author Max call rest ethic. They dive deep in the book on why we as a society don't prioritize rest. And they give practical tips for cultivating what they call a rest practice. As a recovering workaholic, it really blew my mind. And on a side note, John Fitch is just one of those people you want to talk to all day. His voice is so calming and so centering. I want him to be my workaholic, frizzy, frazzy, overexcited person's life coach. And actually, at one point in our conversation, John, who's also a podcast host, even interviews me a bit and does a little bit of workaholic life coaching for me. I had so much fun talking to him, and I hope you'll have the same fun listening and reading his book. Stay tuned for my conversation with the author of Time Off, John Fitch. So I'm incredibly excited to be joined on Office Baggage today by John Fitch. Uh, John, let's jump right in to talk about the book because frankly, there are so many books out there about how busy we all are, how we manage our schedules more effectively. Yours is really different though in that it tackles what I might call the other side of balance, which is not how to keep yourself necessarily less busy, but how to really embrace rest. Talk me through the impetus for you in writing Time Off and really how you landed on this need, not just for yourself, but for the world right now in rest and time off. Sure. Well, I, I think everyone's personal experience when you have to change something, humanity is quite good at changing things. Uh, as my grandfather would say, when shit hits the fan, <laughs> of course. 
Um, and, when we have to. Yeah, when we have to. And I think uh, my attempt with the book and other great books that I've read are to help people be more proactive, uh, not waiting for this breakdown moment. And so I, I kind of wrote the book for my a younger version of myself that would have benefited from it. And I used to think that the only way to be effective was to just work more. Mm -hmm. And I, I know a lot of people that still operate that way. I operated that way and I kind of followed that, that dogma. And I reached a point to where I was just always working. I wasn't able to unplug. I mean, even on quote vacation, sure, I was in another place, but I really wasn't there because I was in my inbox. I was thinking about work at all times. And um, the universe has had a way of humbling me both in, in one week my relationship of many years uh, suddenly ended and my startup at the time, which was about two years of time and money invested, just reached a point to where it wasn't going to move forward anymore. So that week was a very humbling week for me. Sure. And I had some mentors that um, when I reached out in a very humble state saying, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's next. I had some mentors say, Hey, we'd love to work with you. Actually, let's partner up. And and in our foundation of a new company, uh, they, they were senior to me. And the two of them, I was one of the three, were like, we're going to spend our entire weekend talking about our culture. And I looked at them like, what? Like, aren't we, <laughs> we going to like get to work? And they're like, no, we're going to focus on culture. And our culture is going to be very calm and, and rested. And I, I was dubious initially because of my workaholic <laughs> tendencies. And yeah. um, so in a way, they kind of um, forced me into a more restful model. And we really emphasized rest at our company. And a lot of long stories short, I unlocked the beauty of leisure and intentional time off. It changed my life in so many ways that I became obsessed with the question, like, who else now and throughout history has been successful because of intentional rest. And that started the early parts of the journey of putting the book together to show uh, you're right, that there are so many awesome books out there on how to have a good work ethic, how to prioritize, how to be effective. In fact, a follow-up book we're planning is Time On, which- Oh, great, all, I love all, it. Is all about that. Whereas there isn't a lot of books about uh, rest and our one goal was to just expand the definition of time off because I think prior to our book, uh, our readers would, if I said the words time off, they would go, oh, you're talking about vacation. Whereas we wanted to show that it's much, much more than that. And hence uh, our use of the term rest ethic. Uh, the word work ethic is very beautiful, right? It's important to have right. one. Um, and when I say work ethic, to me, that's it's disciplined, it's intentional, you protect it, uh, you're disciplined about that protection. And so it's that same energy applied to your rest, your leisure, your hobbies. Um, and we wanted a book to not only make people feel less guilty about time off, but to show them that it's absolutely, absolutely crucial to their uh, creative expression. So I love that notion. And you talk in the book, one of the things, you know, I read a lot of books for this podcast and, and just in general, and it takes a lot in a, especially a, a 
a nonfiction book for something to really blow me back and go, oh my gosh, that I had never thought of it that way. And when you say in the book, think of your work ethic as the inhale and your rest ethic as the exhale. You can't keep inhaling forever. Eventually you have to exhale. It just blew my mind because it was a powerful visual of people who are, and I've identified as this in the past, workaholics, right? Spend our entire lives holding our breath and getting to that next thing and never exhaling. And it's Mm -hmm. such a powerful visual. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, as you say, you learned to embrace leisure and rest. How did you learn that? How did you learn to exhale in your life and develop that discipline of a rest ethic? Yeah. And thank you for that analogy, we, we challenged ourselves with many different analogies and ultimately chose that one because, you know, I think breath is something regardless of someone's beliefs you can agree on. We have to, yeah. we have to do. And, and I think what's interesting about using the breath analogy is we have to oscillate between inhale, exhale, and depending on what you're doing, that oscillation pattern, the cadence of it changes. So that was the real unlock for me that even though I knew vacation was important and it was a cultural thing in the past, to me, it's incredibly limited if that's our only concept of time off. And, and the, the typical, at least mm-hmm. how I was uh, raised is, you know, you, you work, 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 and then maybe take vacation. Yeah. That'd be the equivalent of me just doing like a 20 second inhale and only a one second exhale. Yeah. Whereas in certain seasons in life, you may be more like a sprinter, which a sprinter when he or she is running is more of a rapid inhale, exhale. Um, If, you know, in yoga breath, there's different breath patterns and there's ones to energize you. There's some to relax you. There's some to help you get ready for sleep. There's not one way to inhale and exhale. Um, And and that's really the point of our book is to help, help people realize a different, different forms of oscillation. And I think what really did it for me, being more of a type A person, we had no problems to find anecdotes of really incredible people throughout history that show you the many forms of time off and how they're valuable. But there's one chapter in our book that is titled uh, Time Off in the Creative Process. And it, we just resurfaced um, Graham Wallace's work, which is about 100 years old in terms of a brilliant theory on the creative process, but I think still as relevant today. And the the four phases is preparation, incubation, illumination, verification. Work as we know it, like we're doing the thing, that is the that is step one and step four. Preparation is like getting things organized, starting to prepare, starting to coordinate, starting to get everything ready for the work. Uh, And then the last one, verification is like, all right, let's actually build the thing. Let's ship it. Let's send it. And let's see how the market or the customer or the viewer, whoever you're building something for responds. That's only 50%. Those are only two of the four. Incubation and illumination is that light bulb moment you have when you did not expect it. And incubation is only activated by stepping away from the actual thing you're trying to do. So if I'm trying to write code for a software, I might do an hour of preparation work, but 
I shouldn't immediately go into verification. I, I can if I want to, but to have better ideas, to have breakthroughs, I need to detach from it to allow for incubation. Maybe I go cook, maybe I go on a walk, maybe I do uh, another side project that's more of a hobby. Maybe I go take a nap, you know, all of the different forms of time off. Initiate and enable incubation where your subconscious becomes like your co-founder. It starts doing things that only by detaching from the work it's able to do. And then suddenly when you're in the middle of gardening or you're playing with your kids or you're, you're, you're painting or you're doing calligraphy or whatever your time off practice is, boom, there's the light bulb. Oh, wow, right. I, I could do that this way. And once I had a new language for not seeing time off as this lazy, like nice to have thing, I, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually a massive contributor to better ideas. And I'm the type of professional that's in the business of good ideas. This is actually an investment in my work. And, and that was the shift for me, was seeing it as a massive contributor. Like, let's think about this. You're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. If you hired somebody, like uh, it could be your co-founder, someone very, your first operator at your company, um, and you hired them and then you never delegated anything to them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's stupid, right? Right. <laughs> like, um, whereas time off is like delegating work to that co-founder to assist you. Uh, and so that was a massive paradigm shift for me and uh, why we included that in the book, because my former uh, workaholic type A personality, once I saw it as a strategy, I could actually take my strength <laughs> of like, oh, wait, when I take time off, it's actually an investment in better ideas, better work. Well, it's interesting because even as a, as, as a you know, sort of recovering workaholic myself, um, when I hear you talk about the creative process, it makes sense in my head. Even, you know, it was interesting. I was watching um, this documentary, which came out of a book called um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the, of the uh, Golden State Killer, all of those kinds of things has come out recently and nothing to do with that. But the writer, Michelle McNamara, who's since passed on, and her husband, Patton Oswalt, who really has shepherded this project going forward, he talks in the documentary about giving her time to write. And that time to write might be 10 hours of, of nothing and a 30 minutes of writing because you need the 10 hours to get to the 30 minutes. And it really resonated in my head much in the same way that you're, you're saying because the creative process is that, you know, the middle parts are the hardest parts to get through and they're not the working parts. Mm -hmm. But then I, I take myself out of that and I put myself back in, in like corporate Marcy and I go, but no, 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 we got to be busy, John. We got to be busy. <laughs> right. Um, we have to, we have to keep doing things like that's okay for writers and painters and sculptors and the creatives. So that's the interesting thing. And I'd love to hear your commentary on it because I know you've done this research on hundreds of years of, our society making busyness king, making work noble and leisure a sin, are we just destined to constantly fall back into the sense of being overworked and underplayed? Yeah, this is a topic that you and I could probably talk about for two weeks straight going yeah. into the, the nuances. I am very optimistic because just like we've throughout history have had bad habits that continue like visible busyness. We've also had good habits that I think we, we can remember. 
And that's really Max and I, my co-author and I's goal was to just help people remember. Like, I don't feel like we're teaching anything new to, we're just helping them remember the importance of these things. And what's an interesting story that we used in that history section in the book is Henry Ford, you know, is quoted a lot in, in business, great management, great supply chain mind, um, you know, personality sure. wise, he wasn't, an, he wasn't an angel, but you know, who is, and what's interesting is when, when he helped institute a, our classic five day work week, um, yes, he was looking at it as a way to stimulate capitalism, right? If people have free time, they're going to actually have time to spend money and buy cars and travel. And, and that was incentivized their company. But he also understood from the, the, human, the human being management perspective of we make less mistakes, people prioritize now that we've shortened the work week. And in his work, in his contemplations, again, this is a long time ago when this was happening, he predicted that we would continue to shorten and shorten and shorten as we unlocked technologies. We've unlocked technologies, but we have not shortened. We've actually yeah. added more. Um, and it's really fascinating to me um, to, to think about why that is. And I think it's because people are knowledge and creative workers, but they don't actually understand the proper input output mechanism for it. It's, we're still lost in this idea that um, amount of emails sent, uh, the way we, put, we talk about it in the book, Marcy, is we have an obsession with quantity of input is supposed to somehow guarantee quality of output, whereas right. it's quality of input, quality of output. And our book has knowledge worker and, and creative worker examples that are both in the scientific realm, but also in the business realm that are like, it's what we're optimizing for is quality of input. And so if you pride yourself on inbox zero, if you pride yourself on most Slack messages answered this week, um, you're trying to replicate a machine and you're not going to replicate a machine. I feel and personally attacked by this, John. So, so it's okay. I, I am inbox zero. It is like my, it is the <laughs> deepest tenant of, of my productivity is having okay. to be inbox well, zero. We can, we, we can, we can, we can, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me ask you this. Um, if there were, if there were ways to automate to, for you to get to inbox zero, would you use it? Oh, I automate. I automate a lot of things already. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here so we maybe, are. maybe inbox zero is okay. Maybe no. I'll calm down. <laughs> no. So, so inbox zero is, I love that you brought this up because you've found a way to still maintain inbox zero. You used automation because th those automations are going to allow you, whereas let's, let's imagine you had all of those automations. They, they didn't exist. And yeah. you had to manually manage your inbox. That's more what I'm speaking to yep. is that, um, you're able to still have, you've, you've, you've increased quality of input mm -hmm. versus only believing that if I just am, am glued to this checking, um, I, look, I have an inbox too yeah. and I have to, I have to manage it. Um, but to me, it's, it's this simple. Um, even if you don't have a background in artificial intelligence, or if, if that is an entirely new word, just know that in software and in hardware, 
we've been automating things for a very long time and things are getting more and more and more and more uh, impressive. And anything that is highly precise, highly repeatable, basically anything, uh, Andrew Nung, who is a, like one of the Einsteins of, of AI right now, he summarizes it brilliantly. He says, anything that takes a human five seconds or less of thought to execute, a machine is going to crush you very soon at that. Yeah. And, but anything that's more than that, that's what we're amazing at. And so that's more of this creative process, ideation, empathy, strategy, these things that take time are what we're amazing at. And the top AI experts will tell you, um, there's, there's not going to be a general AI that does that for the foreseeable future, at least <laughs> in our lifetime. So the parts that of, of your work that feel more creative, that's more of a creative process for you of expression of ideation, that is what we're meant to do. That's what we're actually good at. It's messy. It's beautiful. It's creative. It's expressive. And that's why we wanted to emphasize that time off is a crucial component in the future of work because time off is a crucial component of the creative process. And in the future of work, we're going to all in a way be more uh, creative. I think Max, my co-author summarized it in a line that I, I couldn't do better then. So I had to just be like, dude, high five. You <laughs> nailed it. He's like, um, the, the, the past of work, human beings have been more like, um, to use the analogy of, of, uh, of an orchestra, um, Marcy, most people are individual instruments in a orchestra. So mm -hmm. your friend is a French horn player. I'm a trumpet player. You play the timpani. We're super specialized. It's very precise. We have to follow the conductor. That's work as we've known it. Whereas the reality of where we're heading, thanks to technology, is each one of us tomorrow needs to be more of a jazz improv musician. Mm. Being able to flow and feel and, and kind of go with it. It's unstructured. It's more unstructured. And time off is a crucial component of being good at flowing and, and being multifaceted versus hyper-specialized. Well, it's interesting that you say that, especially in the setting that we are in right now, this COVID-19 crisis has required a lot of us to be more blended than ever. Um, my sister-in-law is, is one of those people that she has said this to me multiple times in this process. She keeps her kids and her home time, very separate from her work time, very separate from her workout time. She's a um, competitive lifter. And those three things never touched each other in her life before. And in the last four or five months, all of those things have to happen at the same time in the same place every day. And a lot of people are asking themselves, how do we cultivate time off when suddenly all of these things that we kept compartmentalized have to be in our home? So what are you guys thinking in terms of your, your research now and some of the time off? Sometimes time off feels like flexibility, but sometimes that term can be almost bastardized to mean work all the time whenever. So how do you make sure that those things don't cross over in a negative way? Mm. Um, you're right. It's quite the human experience right now in this chapter in humanity. And I'm proud of our book for its ability to help people know that time off is not just pre-COVID where it was, I'm heads down, 
for this many hours at work. I get to detach by leaving and driving home. And yep. after a few cycles of that, me and the family are going on uh, a trip to Europe or whatever across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not our reality anymore. So now you need to be thinking about time off more as a micro practice. What is your daily forms of intentional time off? What are your weekly? And I would say, look, I'm not a mother, so I, I don't feel justified to completely speak to a solution, but maybe I can give some interesting prompts that could help someone in the uh, very, very noble position of a mother slash worker slash teacher slash mom in a global pandemic. That's no joke. And you do deserve rest. You're going to need it. And so... Um, are there ways to not only demand, and I say that in a positive connotation, demand time off, just like you have to intentionally get uh, an email done or whatever your to-do list is, that you also make, instead of a to-do list, you make a to-rest list. and You incorporate your family. You uh, find ways that are manageable. When you make it this thing that's not weak, you're not like, hey, everyone, I need to bow out. I can't take this. I got to recharge. You make it like, no, we're going to do this playful thing. We're going to rest because it's not only important for me, it's important for us. And let's have fun with it. Let's like intentionally do it. Hence, rest ethic. You take it serious. It's not just a, oh, we'll fit it in when we can. Um, it's you know, treat it as you do your work. You plan it out. You time block. You schedule it. You protect it. And so uh, that could be, um, you know, some, so I'll just give some tips from the book that I think are very approachable regardless of context. Uh, the first one is, you know, what's your, what's your uh, reflection process? Is it journaling? Is it a breath work? Is it just a walk where you just observe nature? It comes in many different sizes and, and shapes, but when is your moment to go inward and actually check in with yourself? Because right now, especially on screens that we're on all the time, there's the whole attention economy behind that. And there's so much coming at you that it can make it damn near impossible to even have a moment to check inward. And it could be five minutes, 15 minutes, maybe you know, two hours if, if you have that luxury to, um, in the book, we call it, you know, check your internal landscape. Like what's actually going on inside? Well, maybe what needs to change? Do you need a break? Do you not need a break? You don't know unless you're taking that time off from the doing to, to, to check in. So have a reflection process, have fun with how you design that. Maybe you have, you do it with your kids. It could be very beautiful for all of you to check in with each other after yeah. a bit of, of contemplation. That's one. Another one that I feel always called to, to speak about Marcy, because um, when we interviewed uh, this woman who became a profile in the book, I've since put this into practice and I'm a, software entrepreneur. I've spent my career mainly in tech stuff. Sure. Um, and, and Tiffany Schlein uh, developed this process called the Tech Shabbat. comes from a Jewish tradition. Yeah. Um, and she remixed it. And basically from Friday uh, evening until Sunday morning, you have no screens in the house on, you don't reference screens. And it's, I do this, uh, out of all the time off practices, this is like the, the one that has the, the biggest impact on me. And I've even done them, not a full one, but just an afternoon, like after literally afternoon until the next morning, I, I go without screens and my whole business is the business of screens in a way. Right. But it's amazing that uh, when you do that, 
you then have to fill your, your attention and your time with, I find deeply meaningful things. Maybe that's painting. Maybe that's just a conversation, cooking a meal slowly. Um, I've found that my friends that have heard about me doing it, that are parents that do it, it's not only beautiful for them to feel like a, a slowdown of time, their, their children enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like almost like where the children are like, Oh, Hey mom or dad, you finally see me. Like you finally see where I'm at. Like this is, uh, cause I'm always reminded Marcy when I was a kid, I didn't have all these iPads and things and literally days felt like the longest thing ever. And, and through the tech Shabbat, it has made uh, things uh, time slow down for me, especially now that we're all operating on these devices uh, to take a pause away from them uh, can open up a lot of space and attention for these things that uh, bring us back to center, help us help us recharge and, and find meaning. Well, it kind of gets to this idea that you talk about in the book of a very noble leisure and how do you get to noble leisure? I, it resonated with me. I, I heard early in my career, I heard Jamie Lee Curtis give a keynote speech and she talked about always saying to her children, mommy gets to go to work instead of mommy has to go to work because she really believed in the nobility of work. Mm-hmm. And when you flip it on the other side, it's, you know, mommy gets to take this time. Mommy gets to take time off because that's really important as well. But so often we're in this culture, I'm guilty of it as well, of my leisure time might be, you know, knocked out on the couch with the television on watching friends all day when that isn't active, noble leisure. And it's not the kind of thing that will good. I mean, I love friends and I'll never stop doing it, but it's not the thing that recharges you, right? It's not the thing that really gets you over the next thing. The thing that recharges you is getting outside in nature or, you know, reading a great book or whatever that might be for you. Mm-hmm. It's finding that noble leisure that makes us more productive and not less. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd love to turn this into, a, uh, I'm taking the microphone from you. So <laughs> I love it. Let, let me, let me ask you, Marcy, what practices outside of uh, what you would consider your work? So you have that, that inner circle uh, of activity. Let's consider everything outside of that. Uh, which practices that you, or rituals or things you do uh, bring you the most meaning? What are some of the first ones that come to mind? Like, I mean, meaning, deep for meaning. me, it's, it's being near water. That's um, anybody who follows me on Instagram, I hashtag things go to the water because that's, I feel really strongly, mm-hmm. you know, so if I'm really stressed, I need to go walk on the lake or the river. I need to get on a boat. I need to be, I grew up on a massive lake. And so that's always my, my, thing is if I haven't been near water in a while, then that's, then I'm more stressed. I'm more workaholic-y. I'm not as, as connected as I could be. So that's always the break yeah. for me. And, and talk to me, let's go, let's peel the onion a bit. Um, why is that time near water so meaningful to you? It feels calming. I think just the, the presence of of a, a, a lake or a river and, and sort of flowing water is incredibly calming. Um, it feels like you want to put down the phone and put down, you know, the stress and the worry and just take a deep breath. So it, it mm. sort of connects me to that breathing and, and being in nature. And I think it also just grounds you to the earth and where you are and, and mm. puts you, makes you feel small. Wow. And, can you, do you remember any um, resolutions, epiphanies, 
um, moments of clarity in, in that practice throughout your life? So many. I mean, I think about every, every time I've made a career decision or a life decision that is moving or changing or, or really leaving something unnecessary behind. It's been, you know, take some time, get out on, on the water, take some time, you know, watch a sunset, watch a sunrise on the lake, and you suddenly find clarity in where you are and what you want to be. Mm. And I think those things that it, it's funny, I spent, I, I was incredibly stressed through some of this COVID stuff. And the first time I had the opportunity, which I know a lot of people have not had the opportunity to do, but I, we went home to my, my parents and where I grew up in North Dakota. And suddenly we were, my husband and I were driving back after a week there. And all of these ideas were coming to me about my company and about what I was doing. And suddenly I was talking to my husband about it again. And I thought, gosh, this, this thing, this like switch just flipped in my brain where suddenly I feel excited about work again. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't done anything except really turn off and get back to who I was, get back to the lake, get back to, you know, all of those kinds of things, get back to my grandparents farm where I grew up and, you know, all of those things, it's, it, it reconnects mm -hmm. you. Then you didn't realize that was rest. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. I mean, that beautiful story is an anecdote I couldn't have have written but what i can just double stitch on that is to say what you just talked about is incubation and illumination to a t yeah or i guess to an i <laughs> they both start with i but um you know not only is that an example of incubation and illumination of course you were there in nature and water but you mentioned visiting with your parents going back uh, to to a homestead um meaning i'm sure it was deeply meaningful a lot of human connection a lot of almost unspeakable love and and connection and that's what uh, the concept of noble leisure is is some might see that as leisure like you were not working but think of how noble that that time right. was not only observing nature honoring nature but i'm sure you and your husband had some beautiful conversations you and your parents had some beautiful conversations. And guess what? A nice little extra is, boom, light bulbs are going off for you as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. and, and I am so excited about resurfacing. Our last chapter is called A Return to Noble Leisure. Because Aristotle, who in a way coined this term, he, there was the leisurely class in, in that time, ancient mm -hmm. history. And they literally, because they were in leisure, they had the opportunity to think and be inspired. And literally that was the birth of mathematics, of philosophy, of all these breakthroughs and catapults for humanity. And they were, they were not uh, naive in this. Aristotle, likewise, Bertrand Russell, who documented a lot of this was like, look, the leisurely class, like not, let's not be fools here. They were like the, you know, the three percenters <laughs> and there was still lots of, you know, people being exploited to unlock that. But they said, technology is already showing this back then. We will reach a point where every human has the opportunity to have noble leisure. And that's why our book, our last call to action is that right now, the things we do in our quote extracurricular time or our found time or our volunteer time are these acts of noble leisure that, that show the best of humanity like from Max and I's perspective as two professionals who work in artificial intelligence, we're here saying, hey, everyone, guess what? 
instead of that being 5% of your time, 10% of your time, that's literally the only work left for us. If you, if you look at where things are going, right. so you should be proud of these things you do in your quote, volunteer or extra, extracurricular or time off. Cause that is the noble work, the noble leisure that, that we not only need more of, it's kind of the only thing left for us as we continue to automate more and more. Right. I think it's beautiful. I just think it's a very beautiful thing. And we all know those time off practices that make us feel incredibly meaningful. And for me, I'm telling everyone listening, high five, you've been doing it. I'm excited to see what happens when you do more of it. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably true for everybody is, you know, finding those times that have been truly regenerating and, and rejuvenating for you and figuring out how to replicate them in your everyday life to get more of that creativity and the process that you're going through and noble leisure and rest all the time. Mm. And that's, I think that's the hardest thing is I think we can all wrap our brains around the need for rest. Mm -hmm. It's the need for rest on a regular basis that I think is hard yeah. for our society to well get its said. brain around. Well said. I think there's a whole book on just that that you should write because <laughs> it, it is, it is. I mean, in the book, our, our structural approach to do that was at the end of every chapter, as you saw, we had these like, okay, here's this cool time off concept. Yep. How can we give you the microdose version of it so that you can perhaps give it a go, try it out, see what parts of it work for you and detach from the parts that don't. Hence, like, for example, the tech Shabbat, the real quote tech Shabbat, at first was really intimidating for me. So I took on a micro version, which is from 12 PM to 6 PM. I can go without my devices. Sure. Sure. And then, but just from that little bite size, I was like, Oh wow. That was like powerful. Like it's been a very long time since I've gone that long. Yeah. And then I became interested in pushing that threshold a little further, a little further. Um, and so like with any behavior change, I mean, you have to start with something totally achievable and non-intimidating. Um, and I think we're lucky that all things time off for the most part, people enjoy. So I don't think it'll be that hard <laughs> That's <laughs> to, get good. Them to, to practice it. But I think the largest challenge and really the primary reader that we wrote the book for is those people that are in a fortunate situation of leadership, that they get to determine the culture. Um, you know, hopefully we inspire them to not make rest and time off this thing that like, oh yeah, eventually we'll get to that. And it's kind of talked about, but not really practiced can start taking it serious and make it a part of their culture because some people um, need their leader, their manager, their boss uh, to not only tell them time off is okay, but to like encourage it. And that's powerful. Um, and we've got several examples in the book of leaders that do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will link all of your information and the book. I highly encourage our listeners to download the book, um, buy a copy of it, buy a copy and hard copy. You know, I'm a Kindle. I'm a Kindle addict. Get off your screen yeah. and buy a copy and hard copy and um, <laughs> read it and take some of these nuggets that you have at the end of every chapter and implement a few and see if it works for you. I, I know that you will find a, a great um, change in your life of noble leisure if you do. So thank you, John. Nice we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, real quick. Can I last, last yeah. uh, speed round? So on my podcast, um, the last question I ask every guest, I'm going to ask you, Okay. which is um, let's, let's imagine 
I had the ability to give you the capability of like 10 minutes from now, you get to send one push notification to all cell phones uh, in the world. What message would you put on it? Um, oh gosh. <laughs> Wait, I, my, I can, should I, I should answer what I initial what initially, uh, came to my mind, but sure. then I thought, oh, that's just, it's uh, maybe people will be elect Joe Biden. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, let's get out of this situation. I was, it was, I was very torn between wear a mask and elect Joe Biden, but, yeah. um, both come down to let's get out of the situation together. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So well, on you, that, thank for thanks for sending me political at the end of our, our podcast oh, no. here. I know it's I, good. The, the intent is very beautiful. Like, yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's do let's something together and get out of this together. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, well, I'm John. I'm with you. I'm with you on it. I love it. Okay. We'll stop our recording.